Honestly, my pleasure. Uh, somehow, things you do keeps pulling me back towards uh, your endeavors. So I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of this. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being so kind. We jump right to you know what the audience wants us to ask you. So the first right. question is pretty basic in terms of understanding more about the business model and Bohico in general. So we'll start off with what is a very enigmatic question, which is. You know what does the cannabis industry essentially entail in very layman terms? If you can explain it to our audience, absolutely. I think we can do the whole show around this topic, um, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible. So the cannabis industry in India is a very uh, how would I say it's a bag full of mixed emotions, right? Like there's so much happening about it. Um, if you go to see the cannabis crop originated in Central Asia and the Himalayas. Right, and this was way back in 2000 BC. Cannabis as a crop is older than some religions. It's older than democracy as a concept, right? But uh, even though that has happened, cannabis has not really been able to flourish um, as a crop because of all the taboo, the myopic mindset attached to it. So yes, uh, you know, earlier there was this entire stigma because of which cannabis was kind of a banned substance. Um, but you consider the modern day cannabis. Just thirty years long, right? It is making a comeback. It, there is a resurgence that one can see, uh, and there are different kind of industries that cannabis is being plugged in. Now, keeping it very specific to India, right? In India, the cannabis industry is as old as Bombay has come, right? I would say that it is seven and a half years old because before we started out, there was no private or public enterprise that was trying to promote the cause of hemp, right, or cannabis. um that's where we came in and we realized that okay what can really happen with cannabis and what is the exact scenario and that actually took us to the on ground uh, you know villages and mainly north india where there's a lot of wild and feral cultivation and growth of cannabis so when we went there we realized this one very strange but an amazing thing that uh, you know cannabis is growing everywhere people were using it for subsistence use uh, be it you know to make roasted tie their cattle be it winter wood uh, to make fuel 
uh, meat consumption of seeds because their forefathers have been consuming it. So there was this subsistence usage of cannabis, but uh, there was no economic value for the crop. That's when we realized that a very uh, you know great phrase came to my mind, which is uh, that water, water everywhere, but not a single drop to drink, right? And there was cannabis growing across India and we came across a research paper which said that 60% of Indian districts, right, see the wild growth of cannabis. Um, that, you know, made us think that, okay, people in cities are probably um, not well versed with its industrial and medical, um, you know, proposition. They're only probably looking at the recreational side and that was um, the stigma that was attached to it. So we said, okay, let's look at how the world has worked with cannabis. Let's see how Indian rural folk are using cannabis and can we combine the two to make India a powerhouse of cannabis so uh, that's what kind of got us thinking and in order to do that the idea was that for any industry or if forget industry for any company also to start you need to work on the fundamentals and the base of the, um, of the industry per se right so we started working on that and we realized that there are two aspects that need to come together in order for this industry to flourish in our country and that was science and policy. Now, uh, as you might imagine, both of these areas are have so many dependencies. We cannot control all of these by ourselves. Uh, so we had to kind of put in a lot of work to convince the right stakeholders, be it the plant leaders and scientists from that domain, or be it the bureaucrats um, and the technocrats from the policy domain. So that's essentially what happened. Uh, the biggest problem in India was that these decision makers would also consider cannabis as a problem, right? And because they would do that, they would treat it like a problem, right? Uh, by, you know, bringing down chainsaws from Germany to kind of slice down the fields or, you know, put the fields on fire. But that's not really going to help. You're not getting rid of the problem, really, because that crop's going to grow. Again, it's a weak crop. It's just going to grow by itself without any human intervention. So, uh, so they were treating it. Uh, in these primitive ways and uh, that's where we kind of just showed them a different uh, version of this crop saying that okay your problem is the illicit or the narcotic use of this crop fine we can treat that problem by creating another industry why don't you harvest the plant um, before you know it starts to generate the buds from which you can make your uh, the recreational use products uh, and why don't you extract the fiber? People in the villages can start a small cottage industry, right? So uh, interventions like this really helped when they saw the crop from a different lens. Uh, when they saw the crop from a global perspective, uh, it started to make sense. And then the different state governments who have had historical significance or cultural relationship with this crop, such as your Himachal Pradesh, Uttarakhand, Uttar Pradesh, uh, states and then they started taking active steps to commercialize this industry. Uh, and that's where India is at. We're still in a very nascent stage where um, the policy bit is actually moved uh, move a little more forward than the science bit, but the science bit is also catching up, but it's closer uh, you know, to the final destination than we were ever before. So once these two ends meet, I think this industry will really flourish and um, you know, become a, a massive industry that is touted to be. Wow, that is absolutely amazing to hear because that paints a clearer picture around the crop and tells us more about what it can be used for instead of what we actually use it for. Because there's such great use case in terms of the industry and glad somebody's exploring it 
with the work you're doing with Otico. So really, really glad about it. Uh, with that, you know, it tempts me to ask that, you know, the business model question. While it is fantasized and you will hear it at pitch decks every now and then, can you tell me more about, you know, what the business model at the core of Boico is and what it is that you are utilizing the crop for with the multiple use case it seems? Right. So uh, at Bohico, as it stands at present in 2020, we are a vertically integrated direct-to-consumer digital first company, right? We occupy ourselves in the entire value chain from the lab to the farm to the factory to the market, right? Where uh, we have, in fact, over the last seven years of um, existence, we have developed these models ourselves. Uh, however, having said that, you know, Bohico has seen uh, a lot of transition in its journey. Right. Um, when we started out due to the lack of regulatory frameworks in product areas such as food, medicine, Ayurveda, etc., uh, we focused a lot of our efforts towards creating a, a textile ecosystem for hemp in India, where uh, we had our you know garments and accessories brand called Be Label. We still have it actually. Uh, we have our fabric brand called Hemp Fabric Lab, and we have a fibers and yarns division called Boico Textile. However, uh, in 2018, when the regulatory framework opened up, Ohiko transitioned into being a more human health and consumption-based uh, organization. And slowly and steadily, we started uh, pivoting or kind of uh, moving away from uh, some of the textile verticals uh, and focusing a lot more on the categories of nutrition, health and wellness. Um, so even today, as it stands, you can say close to 80% of all our resources are diverted towards uh, uh, the human health and wellness category, uh, and 20% is uh, focusing towards textiles. Uh, that is from a B2B standpoint, uh, because that's how we we uh, believe and discuss that that's how the industry is going to get commoditized once more and more uh, bigger players kind of enter the enter the market. Um, at the same time, uh, the business model is heavily reliant on uh, strengthening our backend with regards to the crop cultivation. Um, so we work uh, as it stands for our seed-based products. We work with over 500 farmers that are employed to two main farmer groups. Um, so we work with them. We've been working with them since the last two and a half years now while they're developing that entire supply chain. Uh, we have our own partner factory in Madhya Pradesh. Uh, that's where most of our seed-based products are made. And so that's essentially uh, we're focusing on. We're also working with a lot of CSR research institutes uh, in Uttar Pradesh, Uttarakhand, and Jammu and Kashmir with regards to the R and D uh, on the cultivation of the crop. So there's a lot happening, and that's why um, you know we're a team of seven co-founders, different co-founder looking after different aspects, and um, that we also believe is a core strength of Eco, where we. Uh, are a fairly large team that is unified by one vision. So yeah, that's what the Bohico model uh, looks like. Wow, that is really, really fascinating because to see that there is so much going on, yet so much synergy at each point in time and being operational for seven years and the growth trajectory moving upwards always is a treat to watch. So thanks for walking through that entire business model. I'm sure that's going to give us more clarity terms of what it entails, what Bohico does, and how hemp can be explored further. But that points me to an interesting question, which is, you know, there are so many consumer brands. You spoke about nutrition, you spoke about apparel, you spoke about other consumer brands. 
So can you take a quick minute or two to you know walk us through the specific consumer segments that you're trying to target? And how's the industry experience been in those specific consumer brands? Right. So uh, you know, playing the you know the end consumer game is quite a tricky play, right? It's not uh, to be honest. It comes with a lot of patience, and you have to really make the right kind of decisions. Um, you know, the current world is woke, right? Vulnerable, unpredictable, yeah. and you don't really know what's really going to happen and um, of course given the current pandemic the uh, the you know the industries are evolving right how people were looking at the consumer is evolving the positioning is evolving so there's a lot that's happening right now as we speak right uh, but given our experience uh, when it came to b label b label was our first kind of uh, consumer brand that we rolled out um, which was rolled out in the year 2016 um, we realized that the consumer is uh, evolving, right? It's first, uh, you know, the brands used to be in a commanding position and, you know, whatever they used to uh, sell, the consumer uh, would uh, kind of fall for that, right? But now the consumer, thanks to the age of hyper-information and internet, the consumer is far more evolved, uh, is reading a lot more. In fact, we realized this one thing when we did a consumer study internally at Polico that uh, most of the consumers are finishing 60% of their buying journey before they even come on the website, right? By uh, word of mouth, by, you know, getting to understand what uh, the market is doing, what is available, the options, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then they are coming on the website to make a pick, right? So it's very important to engage the consumer early on. Uh, and that's why, you know, things like your email marketing, influencer marketing, all of those things become an extremely strong pillar to kind of uh, get to the final consumer. Because right now, if you go to see the consumers also spoiled for choices, right? Uh, the consumerism as a concept has increased so much. Um, there's so many brands out there. And and if you go to see now, what is happening is that uh, first, you know, different brands used to have different niches. Now those lines are very blurred. Now a lot of brands have like competitive niches, right? Like for example, if you go five, six, or seven years ago, um, organic clothing was, you know, there are very few options available. But if you talk about today, there was there are so many options for organic clothing, right? Then there are different story points that kick in. So um, uh, there are new and new challenges that keep coming up in different phases of a, of a consumer brand, right? And uh, the most important thing and to stay relevant uh, in the mind of the consumer is the product itself. I often say this to our teams also internally. That uh, let's not make products and then look for consumers. Let's identify our consumer first, identify their needs first, and then let's make a product, right? Um, so that entire funnel is changing. It's kind of, uh, you know, tilting on its top right now. Um, and that's extremely critical. And to be honest, no matter what you do in terms of your sales and marketing, the final thing that will really bring a consumer back to your brand are only two things. One is your product and the other is the service. If you one brand can really crack these two things, which are, to be honest, they're just two simple words, but they're extremely complicated and uh, dynamic kind of uh, areas to really kill, right? Um, but uh, if a brand can really make sure that their service to the consumer and the product offering to the consumer are on point, uh, there are very good chances that the consumer will stick despite all the options available. So 
this is my take on it. Uh, of course, we are we are still uh, evolving in this space, uh, and we since we have changed our approach and model as to how we look at the consumer, we have really benefited a lot from it. And uh, yeah, I guess onwards and upwards from here. Absolutely, onwards and upwards indeed, because uh, it's been a great journey, and as you said, it's, it'll be exponential as we move forward as well. But to understand the change in perspective towards the consumer and to create products according to our identified consumers, who's my platform that take of yours, and it was great to understand how you know the D two C industry works and how people talk about it because it's again. Some of these fancy terms cannot be decoded, and you just go along the flow. But this gives a comprehensive viewpoint. So uh, glad for that. Uh, but moving ahead, you know, uh, when we talk about cannabis again, given that you are now taking out time, there's more awareness now. I'm sure back in 13 when you started, there was not such awareness. So when you were going into market, uh, it'd be interesting to know how the consumers reacted to it and how the feedback loop responded for you. Right. No, I mean, you know, selling cannabis-based products, the number of stories that come your way are <laughs> yeah. and I can go on and on. But there are some that are at the top of my head that I will be very happy to share. Uh, so when we started out, right, uh, our core thing was that when it comes to the consumer uh, and uh, consumer purchasing a cannabis product, right, um, the idea is that they don't have to learn about something. They need to unlearn about something and then relearn about it, right? Because when it comes to cannabis, what's in their mind is probably that bang, bang drink on holy or probably a recreational, um, you know, uh, cannabis joint that they might have shared with someone at a party. So that was the myopic mindset that was attached yeah. to the straw. Now, if you want people to kind of think away from it, right, and to think about, um, you know, the bit that we're talking about, which is the industrial and medical side, how do you do it? Um, so what we did was essentially we started positioning. Uh, I mean, we did a lot of like direct-to-consumer events in terms of exhibitions and pop-ups and all. And that's where our most important learnings about the consumer came. Because when you interact first time with the consumer, that's when you really get to know. That's when the eyes really breaks with the brand as well. Um, so when we do these pop-ups, we don't just put, put out our products. We actually say that when it comes to a cannabis-based product, you're not buying a product, you're buying an entire story. So how do we create that entire journey within, like when someone walks into like our pop-up shop, they should kind of be immersed in this entire journey and the story of cannabis. And we always create that, right? Uh, if, I mean, uh, if you just, you know, have passed by our booth, you'll know that there's a lot happening, you know, there are different styles that are occupied. So we often do that. Um, and in fact, some of the, we use a, a lot of catchy kind of phrases to kind of lure the consumer inside. So, for example, one thing that we do is uh, outside our pop-up shop, we put out this board which uh, clearly states Bhanke Kapade, right? So, when a consumer, when someone walking past is actually reading that, they'll be so curious and they'll come inside and they'll be like, you know, what's really happening? And, uh, you know, more often than not, there's a, uh, you know, another garment shop next to our brand which is selling pure cotton-based garments, right? They never have these, uh, you know, little kind of knickknacks that they can play around with. And it's just another cotton gum. Um, so when the consumer starts walking in, um, they ask you the, the funniest of questions, right? So in fact, one of the most asked questions to all of us till today 
is if I wear this shirt, will I get it high? Right? Now, uh, that might sound like a uh, like a funny question, but if you if you think about it, right, it's literally a great icebreaker. At least someone's right. asking if the ice is broken there, and you know you get to. Uh, and then we often say this as a response that uh, you'll only get high on fashion, right? Um, and then we explain them the entire journey as to how we use the fiber and how we kind of turn it into fabrics and then garments. And then they're very curious, right? And they touch it, they feel it. So automatically they start to uh, start to respond more to it and they start kind of subscribing to the story. Um, similarly, we get a lot of different questions asked when we're selling hemp seed. Uh, some people think that we're selling ham, you know, and we've been asked that question, ham, and then you have to, yeah, you have to really dumb it down and break it down because, uh, especially for the older generation where cannabis has uh, been like a stigmatized uh, crop, uh, it's uh, it's our responsibility to break it down and make sure that they get that to push. Um, but yeah, these are some of the you know fun and interesting stories that come to my head. Um, and that has really worked for us. Wow, that was really again very very fascinating to hear. Funny, but I understand that you know it gives a talking point, and if we start off a conversation, unlike other brands which have to see customers, here it becomes a, a process of exploration for the consumer end. So again, great to hear that, and very very interesting. But uh, hope this gets normalized further, and everybody is more aware of the industrial usage of hemp and the great work you're doing and it keeps going ahead. Uh, next up, I'd like to, you know, touch upon a strictly, again, very, very entrepreneurial term, a product market fit, a very, very fantasized in the market, what do entrepreneurs hear it? And as somebody who's enthusiastic about startups, when I hear it, while I understand what it essentially means on the surface, I don't know what it entails in depth. And given that Bobico explored a product which has been fairly, very, very innovative and a market which is very new as well. Can you reflect upon how Bohico bridges this a product market fit gap and what it is that Bohico does uniquely in its proposition for this term? Right. Uh, no, uh, absolutely good, good question. And uh, there are a lot of different things that we do actually to arrive at the final product, right? Um, uh, firstly, uh, so uh, there's an entire process, right? Typically, from ideation to the launch of the product at Boico, we typically take anywhere between 45 to 60 days, right? Um, typically, what happens is that the product development and the marketing team at Boico uh, really think through um, some of the offerings that can be made from cannabis that are aligned with our vision uh, and that can really solve a problem in the market, right? Um, so there is that detailed brainstorm that happens. We, in fact, even involve some of our repeat consumers at this stage, um, where we ask them questions, what did they think, um, you know, feedback, uh, and thanks to uh, a lot of like well-traveled people, also they have seen the hemp and cannabis industry flourish in other countries whenever they travel. So there are a lot of interesting ideas that you know are shared early on, right? Once we understand this uh, process, what typically happens is that we have a very strong team of uh, that develops products for us, right? Within the organization, they get a certain brief uh, and they make a few first set of products, right? For uh, corresponding to the same indication, right? So, for example, if we are making a product for arthritis, which we already have, we develop five different variations and we develop smaller SKUs. 
and we give it to our consumers first and we ask them to use it for a period of 7 to 10 days uh, really not all the feedback um, and put it down so there is a uh, test that we do there is a concept test and there is a, another test which is a concept and use test right a concept test is usually done more better than wise with the consumer and the concept and use test is done by consumer actually using it and giving us real time feedback so we do that and based on the feedback we kind of put together an another round of product development and create our final product and then there's of course a lot of feasibility study after um, you know you have to test the packaging you have to because uh, you know an arthritis pain product for example uh, right if it ha- it comes with like a um, how do i say it? like a squeeze on uh, dropper then it becomes very difficult for people who have arthritis in their fingers right around the joint so there's a lot of learning that we go through uh, and we keep the consumer right at the center of it um, we often say this to each other that uh, one unhappy customer is the biggest source of learning we have so we don't let the consumer go we take all the um, you know why they were unhappy and then we try to imbibe it in our entire um, you know design of uh, the entire journey and the product and uh, yeah basis that the product keeps evolving i don't think that um, once the product is in the market uh, it's too late or something like that you can always um, you know because once the sample size increases once it was 500000 consumers that use the product uh, and you really tabulate that data through a consumer survey you can get some amazing feedback amazing feedback like one interesting story that i i'll tell you right is that when we launched our arthritis pain product right after the uh, first three months of the product being in the market one uh, a few consumers actually came to us with a very innovative insight right and that insight was that uh, you know whenever uh, i have applied my previous arthritis uh, oils or creams or balms they always give us that thanda garam effect you know like the indians are used to that uh, that physical characteristics a lot thanda garam lagega to meaning something is happening so we said okay this is a great perspective maybe the thanda garam bit is not really going to do the job of helping them with their arthritis but psychologically they are more at ease right um, so we started thinking that okay can we add men or camphor or some other ingredient that can help us gain that effect right so these are some of the insights that you get along the way and if that really makes sense and drives home a point then you try to integrate so we often do that we are uh, very close to our consumer right like uh, in fact we directly also i speak to so many consumers know them uh, by name for stand and that would to be very honest help me evolve as uh, the front end guy at buhiko but also helps uh, bombim company evolve in terms of its product portfolio and things like that that's what we do at buhiko for to make sure that our product and market fit is on point Absolutely, that seems really, really interesting. And again, the way you've explained the product market fit segment of you know being able to articulately talk to the consumers, irrespective of being a co-founder, and being continuously on the move and doing a multiple other things you've done right at Google, that's certainly going to take a cue for all of our journeys and the consumers who are listening to this podcast right now. Thanks, Josh, for that. So as we go on to the concluding segments of the episode. Can you very simply point out the three myths, the highest known myths, or you know, commonly misunderstood terms about uh, hemp as an industry or as a product, 
and something that you know you'd like to clear out in the air for all of us. Right. So when it comes to cannabis, of course, it's a crop that's surrounded by a lot of myths. Uh, top three myths that probably come to my uh, head are uh, that the recreational cannabis that one uses and hemp, right, are uh, to our chalk and cheese, right? It cannot uh, get you that high, right? Hemp will no chance get you that high, even if you smoke one acre of a hemp field, it'll only give you a headache by the amount of smoke in your body, right? Um, I often say this to a lot of people that look at the cannabis family as the, as the cat family. There is the wild tiger in that family, and there's a domesticated cat, right? Uh, same, uh, same family but different species. So. Uh, hemp and uh, the recreational cannabis are, uh, you know, very similar to that. The second myth I would say is that the active component in THC, uh, in cannabis, which is THC, which is responsible for that euphoria effect, um, is is because of which you get high, is not all that bad. It has also a lot of medical properties with regards to pain, uh, appetite stimulation, and things like that. So it's not only uh, recreational use substance, but it also has uh, medical significance. Um, and the third and the last myth is that if you, um, you know, use hemp products, you will not get high. You will not get high wearing a hemp shirt. You will not get high eating hemp seed. Uh, they are completely out of that bracket. So I think yeah, those are the three myths that I would like to bust for everyone. Wow, that is absolutely great and thanks for putting it out there in the air because I know for a fact that a lot of uh, people around still believe that, you know, hemp can get you high, but know that that does not happen to be the case. There is much more usage uh, to hemp than what we see it as and just recreational purposes. There is great industry usage for it and there's been great revolution done by people like you, youngsters who are creating revolution in the industry. Thanks so much for that. And as we conclude, as I go on to the concluding question, I'd like to ask you that you started off in 2011 and ventured into uncharted territory because this was a product which is not your forte. You all don't come from scientific backgrounds per se. And you were going into a market which was pretty unexplored and at a time where people still had the books we just spoke about. So uh, for somebody who's been able to, you know, venture into and uh, go against all of the inhibitions that would be there. What would your message be to everybody who's listening as a young entrepreneur or as somebody who aspires to be in the entrepreneurship industry to have a passion that you necessarily don't come from, but have that vision, that perseverance and go out there and achieve it. What would be your message to those people listening? Right. Uh, so, uh, what I would essentially give is three advice, right? And again, these are some things that I have learned along the way and some things that my other mentors have told me and they have really resonated with me. So, I'll pass on that. Um, number one is uh, be persistent and patient at the same time. Uh, one needs to be patient with regards to their final and end goal, but at the same time, be persistent to get the smaller wins out of their way so that they can get to the goal faster. Um, another thing, uh, Mr. Tata, who is one of the investors and also a mentor to the organization, had once uh, told us in one of the first meetings that, uh, just remember this guys in your journey, that there is nothing like a right decision. You take a decision and then you make it the right. Uh, so that really stuck with us and helped us make faster decisions and to even stick to some of our decisions. 
and third thing which i actually read over the weekend right and it really uh, stuck to me that uh, one says that you know to be an entrepreneur you definitely need to have the ability uh, to do something and also need to put in all the hard work but there is this one third thing that often gets missed out and that is that uh, you know that passion uh, towards a certain subject if you really are passionate about a certain subject then trust me you will put in that much more in order to kind of achieve success uh, one definitely uh, needs to uh, celebrate progress over success uh, is another thing i would say uh, it is very important to do that uh, because again it can take a lot of time to achieve success in a certain area but you should definitely celebrate progress more so yeah these are some of the you know wise words uh, that i would kind of part with that uh, have really stuck with me that is incredible and really commendable because you spoke about such heavy terms in the most simplest manners i've heard you spoke about patience and persistence and you know making decisions right instead of the other way around and celebrating progress over success which are three very very beautiful things that you've mentioned uh with that yash we come to the end of this amazing episode again it is always a great pleasure talking to you and this has been really special had it not been for you this podcast would have not existed i can say for certain and you've always been there as a mentor to me thank you so much for your time and your wisdom with information not just about hemp or cannabis but about an entrepreneurial journey and the traits required to break it into this very competitive yet a very attractive field thank you so much yash for joining me today No, thank you, Jira. Thank you for having me. Please keep doing the amazing work that you do for bringing stories out uh, to the world. Um, had a pleasure speaking with you today as well as usual. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Mr. Yash Kotak of Bohiko for all of you. Hemp does not make you high. Yash clears the air around the hemp industry and Bohiko beautifully and candidly. The most important takeaways from the episode. are in terms of the knowledge and the amazing experience let's take a quick ride down the episode shall we to begin with yash mentions that cannabis has been around for a long long time but as an industry it is as old as bohico the group of friends saw an opportunity researched about it and set out since then they've explored the industrial usage from all ends of the spectrum from its cultivation to scientific usage to policy negotiation they've seen it all the scope of the industrial usage for the crop is immense and to not utilize it to its fullest is simply losing out throughout the journey the team at bohico has educated the market a lot this has led to some great starter conversations and is testament to making sure how you can turn a supposed disadvantage to an advantage some great stories and some great lessons through the episode yash again leaves us with the golden trio patience passion and the advice championed by the great mr ratan tata folks there is no right no right decision no right pathway you take a decision go down a pathway and make it right That was it from Unplugged Hatch One of the Indian Silicon Valley podcast, where we spoke all about the hemp industry and Bohico. 
I'm Jivraj Singh Sachar, your host, and I thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out, and I'd be happy to answer. I value feedback immensely and would love to hear from you. For today's goodbye recommendation, I would like to recommend the YouTube channel Cold Fusion. Do take a moment and check it out. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I will see you next week for another episode. Till then, stay safe, stay kind, stay tuned.